For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. He's got the answers to uh, who you should take and who you shouldn't take. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. He's in our paper two days ago telling us who we have to take. Welcome back to the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. I am Joe DeLeon, joined by two NFL Draft analysts. Ryan Roberts, and apparently James Gilstrap, who we just found out today is Alex's real name, has been lying to us this whole time. I, I, I don't understand it. What, why why Alex? Why, are, why, why do we call you Alex if that's not really your name? I'm pretty sure, and my dad, when he listens, my dad listens to the pod, big fan, uh, and when he listens, he'll, he'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure my parents thought to themselves, James sounds too proper for a baby so they started calling me alex with the with the thought that eventually i'd be converted to james but it just never happened i'm gonna call you ja what ja 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 gilstrap me and ja nfl draft prospects podcast with ja gilstrap and ryan roberts i love that so today i new handle that should be illegal so today we're talking interior offensive linemen. We're not going to spend 40 minutes talking about Alex's real or fake name. Interior class has some pretty fun names in it. I think that this group is a lot more talented than the tackle group. We're going to dive into all of that. But before we do so, I need to tell you folks about Bet Online. The month of June is heating up with a ton of exciting sports action. And Bet Online is where you can find it. From basketball and hockey playoffs I just realized I did the thing again where I read read about June, and it is currently July. Good. Alex <sighs> Tsupolis, please, I don't know if I pronounced it right, please send the correct read from <laughs> basketball and hockey playoffs to baseball's marquee matchups, including prop bets and futures. BetOnline has all the latest odds, news, and information for all of your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So as I said, we're talking interior offensive line on today's episode, and it seems pretty clear from talking with you guys that it is a pretty talented group compared to the tackles, which usually doesn't happen. Usually there's a lot of really, really good athletes that are playing on, on you know the tackle positions and they're very highly sought after, but I, I feel like that's not really the case for this year's class. There's a ton of really good names that play center and guard, some diversity there. What are your guys' thoughts on this interior group overall? Well, breaking news, I think the top group probably positionally in the 2022, at least early on, would probably be the edge group. But I think after the edge group, there's a conversation between interior offensive line, cornerbacks and safeties. And I would not be mad at anyone that had interior offensive line as the second strongest group. I think both at center and guard, it's very deep. And I think it's exceptionally talented last year. Like there was Elijah Vera Tucker, which you were, you know, 
obviously like everybody was pretty, you know, standard and thinking like first round pick. If you have Rashawn Slater, then okay, we have two guys. I was a Trey Smith guy, but obviously he fell drastically because of health concerns and the, obviously the recurring issues of blood clots in his lungs. This class, I think, is very squeaky clean. A lot of easily translatable players, both the power schemes, both the zone schemes, and a lot of them to both. So I think that this is a fantastic class. Yeah, if you're a fan of an NFL team that has a need on the interior, this is a really promising class because no matter what kind of scheme, like you talked about, Ryan, it's diverse. The, the skill sets you have with these guys, they can fit a lot of different schemes. And and I, I don't think there's a team in the NFL that would walk away without a top 50 grade, you know, preliminary grade this summer with this, this year's class. It is a super strong class. The top five was the hardest interior offensive line top five in the summer I've made in quite some time. So there's there's just a big, you know, day two bucket, I think, uh, in this interior offensive line class overall. So as we always do, we start the, the discussion with uh, the highest upside guy in the group. And for those that don't know what highest upside means, we're talking about somebody who has tremendous talent and that can evolve into an elite player at the next level or somewhere along those lines, have a, a ton of progression over their time from going to college to the NFL. And Ryan, I, I am so intrigued to talk about this guy, Kenyon Green from Texas A&M. Ryan, I'm pretty sure you you remember there was one instance during the winter, I believe, where I hopped on a Zoom call with you. You were off from school or something. There were a couple other people when we were watching tape. And it was Texas A&M, Alabama, I think. And I, th- I forget which player we were watching, but I said to you, Ryan, I'm like, Who, who's, who's this guy? Who's this interior offensive lineman that I'm seeing? And you pointed out that, that Kenyon Green is going to be a first-rounder. Like that, He immediately popped off the tape, which usually doesn't happen with an interior offensive lineman, but it did. Now, yeah, and it, I mean, I think, so we had watched a couple games that day. I think we watched Deo Odiyingbo against Texas A&M's offensive line, offensive uh, unit in general, and then we had watched Alabama, like you're talking about, against Texas A&M as well. And, and you are completely right in the sense of, like, usually offensive linemen in general don't pop off the screen, especially interior offensive line. But number 55, starting left guard for Texas A&M over the last two years, is about as dominant as an interior offensive lineman that you are going to find. And he was only a true sophomore last year after coming as a high four by every publication, five star by some publications from the recruiting sense. And he has just been exactly that for Texas A&M. He's been a dominant force, 6'4 plus, 325 pounds. He is actually moving outside. He's going to play left tackle this year, which I'm not – Let's see how it goes. I mean, like, I'm going to keep an open mind to it. For me, like, I watch and I'm just like, that's a guard. Like, that, and there's nothing wrong with that. But he, because he is the ability that he has to create power in such tight spaces and, and the lower leg drive that he has, just the, I mean, he is silly power, to be honest. And he's a good athlete working to the second level, working laterally. Like, everything checks the boxes as a potential Pro Bowl caliber offensive lineman interior. Now they're going to move him outside because. Frankly, he's their best offensive tackle. They lost Dan Moore this year. They lost Carson Green. They're starting tackles from, from a year ago. So he's going to play left tackle. I'm interested to see it because I do think that he has the athleticism to play it. But for me, I think that long-term talking, speaking-wise, I think that Kenyon Green is, a again, a Pro Bowl caliber guard who's a dominant force. And I think that he has the type of upside where if you told me in four years that he was 
maybe not rivaling Quentin Nelson because Quentin Nelson is on another planet, but maybe the second best off interior offensive lineman in the National Football League behind Quentin Nelson. I would believe you. I think he has that type of upside. Wow. Yeah, swinging over to tackle this year, I think that'll make it to where he's played everywhere but center as far as guard. He's played both guard positions and then moving over to tackle. So that's only going to help him, uh, it, you know, showing that versatility off. But I agree with you. I don't know how I feel about that transition for him. I think he fits so well where he's at at left guard. So um, I saw some up and down play. I like a lot. There's level. There's there's times in which Kenyon Green is probably the most dominant player on the football field. I mean, at just physical, physically the best player on the football field. But it took me a while to come around to him a good bit, and I was talking to Ryan about this. First couple of games I watched, I believe it was the Tennessee game and the bowl game against um, North Carolina. I just I didn't see you know consistency. You know he was letting guys slip him um, uh, through the through the B gap, and I, I just struggled with him a little bit. And then I, I was like, okay, Ryan's big on him, so let me keep watching. So then I watch uh, Mississippi State, and that game was just silly. <laughs> I saw it. I was like, okay, okay, this guy, <laughs> when when he's on, he's on. This guy's just a freak. Um, but yeah, so like you said, I think at the guard position, I think the upside, what I saw in the Mississippi State game, what you see in the Vanderbilt game, which Ryan talked about is another game I watched uh, since I watched those first couple of games, you see the level of dominance and the high upside that this guy can possess. So I definitely agree with him being placed in this in this remark, and I think this is someone that's that could easily be considered a first-round caliber guard when it's all said and done. And, and maybe a transition to tackle for his final year of college. I mean, we can all agree here he's going to end up playing inside in the NFL. But maybe something like that helps him improve his his skills as a as a pass blocker because that, you know as we all know it's very different trying to pass block in space compared to when you're in the interior. So maybe stuff like that really helps his progression. Not a lot of guys can say that they've done that in their time in college. So that's a testament to his to his talent. Alex, your pick for highest upside, you went with a Kentucky guy, Darian Kennard. Yeah. yeah, Darian Kennard, someone that currently plays right tackle for Kentucky, but someone I think is better suited. This is something we talk about every year, and there's always a conversation with a couple different offensive line prospects that are tackles in college that just project better inside. And some people have a problem with that. I don't understand it. If you're just going to be a better guard, you're going to be a better guard. I mean, Quentin Nelson is more valuable at guard than he would be at tackle. And that's okay. Like it doesn't, doesn't limit him. It doesn't make him less of a player if he's just a great tack, uh, a great guard versus a good tackle. So uh, this is just someone I think at 342 pounds uh, possessing the power that he possesses, uh, and his his ability in a phone booth when he is asked to do that at right tackle, I think is is really impressive. And you know, with thirty four plus inch arms, what is his hands over eleven inch? You know, this guy's guy's just a monster, uh, and he and he shows that at the point of attack. I mean, this guy can bully people around the football field, much like Kenyon Green. But I just feel like I saw it on a more consistent level, and I trust the athleticism just a hair more than I did with Kenyon Green. Uh, so that's where I see the tools to become a, a better guard. Uh, and that, I mean, that's just a testament to this class. I think both of these guys are first round caliber guards uh, transitioning to the next level. Um, and, you know, we talked about that at the top, just the, the excitement around this year's interior offensive line class. But I just see a lot of tools to work with. I see the physical demeanor that's consistent. Um, and then I just, you know, he just, I, I see a little bit more consistency of that level of dominance through the games I watched. Yeah, I, I have a name for you, Alex, for um, speaking of Darian Kennard. Kenechi Osemele. 
is a guy that mm. I wrote down when I was watching him, who was, of course, a like pro-ball guard. And I think that the 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 good debate that's going to happen, obviously people are, you know, sometimes are very struggling with moving tackles into guards, all that type of stuff. Because yep. he has – he's 6'5 plus, like you said. He's 340 pounds. He has – 34 plus inch arms. He has 11 inch hands. So like he hits all the thresholds to play offensive tackle from a size, you know, configuration. But I really do think that the best parts of his game, because like that Kentucky offense, like they are a power offense. <laughs> like he is not yes. traditional pass set. Like he is a, you know, 45 pass set sometimes, mostly jump setting. Like he is not a guy that is, you know, being asked to vertical set and to work in space a ton because that's not what he does well. Like he's got that huge lower body. He creates a ton of power, similar to Kenyon Green in a, in a large sense of the ability to really work a half-man relation and dominate to the second level. Like inside zone, I think he could do. Outside zone, not as much, but like I think that power right. inside zone type of schemes, I think he fits perfectly. I think he's a Pro Bowl level guard. He was the guy that I originally had written down because I think we're from a size uh, perspective, like there's not much he can't do from a power perspective. And then I think he has not great flexibility, but I think he has pretty good linear ability. Like I think that he can work to the yeah. second level pretty well. And I think that he he's another guy that if you told me if he's a Pro Bowl guard down the line, I wouldn't doubt it because I think that he has that that, that type of ability. I don't think he's a tackle long term though. I think he's definitely an inside piece. Uh, with the abilities that he has in the run game and the ability to dominate with gaining inside leverage. Joe, this is just a talented interior class. There's a lot of guys alike. Mm, I bet, I bet. <laughs> and also, we love moving tackles inside the guard on this show. That is it's one of favorite our favorite thing, things dude. to do. Exactly. So now shifting our focus from a, a really talented guy to a guy that's getting overhyped. This week's bum watch list is named after Drake Jackson. The center from Kentucky. Sorry, Drake. You are the uh, name for this week's watch list because of your drop off and despite some weird hype and not really having those NFL measurables. For those are, that are unaware, the reasoning behind this this group or the, the philosophy behind it are guys that are being talked up way too much too early and that are likely going to fall off throughout the process. And Ryan, you, you originally had the same name as Alex. I don't want to jump right into to Cade Mays just yet, but I, I'm a, a bit interested here why you went with uh, you went with Kane Madden, who I feel like wasn't getting talked about like a ton, and then he transfers to Notre Dame, and he's suddenly immediately plugged into that starting lineup by you know everyone's account. So why are you not a fan of this Marshall to Notre Dame transfer? So I hadn't watched Kane Madden until pretty recently when he made the transfer to Notre Dame a few weeks ago, and he is expected to potentially start at right guard for Notre Dame. Um, so the reasoning behind this one, or I actually might be left guard. I can't remember which, which spot he slotted at. But the reason for this is no matter what All-American list you look at, Kane Madden's on there, especially PFF. PFF loves Kane Madden, dude. They love it. <laughs> and it's – I think some people are – having tr trouble differentiating between good college football player that has some notoriety and being a draft prospect. So I'm hearing Kane Madden. I, I saw it on Twitter just yesterday, I think, where someone was like, oh, Kane Madden, most underrated guard in in, in the draft next year. And uh, he's a odd player for Notre Dame to covet because I think – I mean, he's listed at like 6'4", 3'10", or something like that. I'm here to tell you, 
if that boy is not 6'2", I would not be a, a very surprised. I think that he is stubby, stubby, short arms. I don't think he's very athletic. I think he's very strong. I think when he gets inside on you and he's able to get good proper hand position and he gets his base underneath of him, I think he's fantastic. But I think his pad level isn't very good. I don't think he's very athletic. And I think he's got really stubby arms. So I think he lacks length and he lacks athleticism. And I think that some people, again, differentiate. Some guys could be really good college players and not great draft prospects. For me, that's what came out of this. No, I, I, you talk about the transfer to Notre Dame, Joe, and how that kind of jump-started his, his you know preseason hype here. And I think that's just a testament to Notre Dame and the offensive line talent they push out to the NFL. And look, Kane Madden, you talk about doesn't meet a lot of the thresholds. He's not really that guy. But I, I think a lot of this hype will die down as the transfer you know, news kind of dies down and, and things get into the swing of things. I haven't watched Kane Madden, so I can't speak on him as a prospect, but it's, it's, uh, it's crazy Alex. Cause it, like he made all these set, like several all American lists over Jared Patterson from Notre Dame, who had Jared Patterson's unquestionably the best offensive lineman at Notre Dame and unquestionably the best interior offensive lineman at Notre Dame. And yet it's Marshall transfer Kane Madden, who is the preseason all American. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I don't I don't understand that either. I, I feel like he wasn't really that notable of a name coming out of Marshall, and then suddenly he ends up at Notre Dame, and everyone's, oh, he's an elite offensive lineman because he's at a school that produces elite offensive linemen. Like, I, I, I don't see it. I'm, I'm on the same page as you. I think it's totally random that Silly. he's suddenly this elite player now that he's a, a member of the Fighting Irish. Right. Alex, you, so you went with Cade Mays, who, former Georgia player, now at Tennessee and has been at you know a lot of different p- points talked up as a first round pick and I, I feel like we're not really at that point right now where he's going to be heading to the NFL next season it's not really the same so though we're talking about the same category here the the guys that are being talked up it's very different so Kane Madden you talked about just doesn't necessarily meet those thresholds a lot of times Kane Mays meets him and, and exceeds him in some regard like size length power he he really checks a lot of boxes from an in, you know intangible standpoint the things you can't teach is the, the the size and length a lot of times so he meets those remarks those thresholds it's just a level of inconsistency for me that that I struggle with overall I mean he transfers to Tennessee and he is a talented football player former five-star football player uh you know get some early playing time at Georgia like I said transfers to Tennessee and there's there's moments where you see it and you're like oh that's the play that I get it I get it and if you if you put together you know a highlight film of Cade Mays and his best blocks and his best combos like you can you can convince someone that he's a first round top 50 caliber football player and and I can understand that thought process if if you just look at the the highlights the the top plays but if you really dissect everything he's doing he's just a lumbering mover that I think, you know, struggles in space very much so. I think he's very scheme dependent uh, in a power profile that he has. And I see a lot of the things that people like. And I can see a way to where you can think Cade Mays ends up being a top 50 pick. But we just have a long way to go till we get there. This, especially in a class that's as talented, we've been talking about the talent of this guard and center class. So you talk about these guards that are in this class. For him to be talked about top 50 is it's just a little rich for me right now. Like I said, I see it. I see the the traits. I see the what you can like about him, but I just feel like there's a lot left to, to be desired when watching his film. I think it was a great breakdown. Quick story time, Joe. You ready for it? 
Go for it. All right, so Kane Mays thinks he's a right tackle of Georgia. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm the, I'm the right tackle. Falls out of favor because they envision him inside a guard, which they should. Uh, but there's a weird story behind the scenes about his dad was his at like, a pep rally or something, and his finger got stuck in like one of those folding chairs, right? And he apparently lost part of his finger. So there was also his dad or he did the dad. His, his dad lost part of his okay. finger. So separately from the transfer and the falling out from a positional perspective, I think his dad also sued the University of Georgia because yes, of this he did. incident. So uh, the Mays family doesn't like Georgia too much. Long, long, um, long story to end it there. Oh my God. I don't know how I even heard of that. That's, that's obscure. Yeah. I did know that story. I wasn't going to get into it. That seemed very complicated, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a true story. Ryan's not lying. Ryan, so you're not also a fan of Cade Mays because you you had him written down, and I was we were joking before the show, and I said that's hilarious. You guys both put Cade Mays down. You decided to go in a different direction to change it up, right? But yeah. why, why don't you like him? Yeah, him and Madden were close for me in that respect. So I wanted to throw somebody different, obviously, since we we're going to touch on Mays. I will say Mays was a high recruit, very high, four or five star recruit, um, and he just. He's just very limited from an athletic perspective. Like, I think that there's some teams like gap power systems that will be like, okay, developmental guard on day three. Because he hasn't been playing guard that long, really, right? Because he was like going back and forth. And he's like, I want to play tackle. And you're He was a swing player in Georgia. Yeah. Right. So he's like a swing player. I mean, again, we're evaluating him at the interior. His last game at Georgia, though, the bowl game was one of the worst games I've ever evaluated of an offensive tackle. He's just not an offensive tackle. He's a guard. But it, so if you're telling me Cade Mays, day three developmental guard, I'm good. And then you say like, oh, okay, he also has experience at tackle. So like he's not going to start a tackle, but he could have some swing potential there. Like maybe he can get you out of a game that, you know, kind of, you know, goes goes the, on the wayside type of thing. Like I'm good with that. But any top 50 hype, which you're seeing a lot, if you go on any of these dra- mock draft simulators, you see Cade Mays in that range, which I just think is insane. And I, I would be shocked. If Cade Mays goes top fifty, I'd be shocked if he goes top one twenty five. Like I don't think that that's in him. I think that he is mid late fourth round going into the latter part of day three. Like I think that's the range for a guy with like Cade Mays. Yeah, that sounds fair. And he, he's had a bit of an up and down career, bouncing around from one school to the next. Is a, a little bit tough to also get bought into a guy fully if he can't stay consistently at one location. So our next more positive spotlight of players are Elijah Vera Tucker watch list. And if you remember from last cycle, folks, Elijah Vera Tucker, no one really talked about him that much preseason or heading into the year. Nobody even knew if USC was going to be playing. And this guy played all over the offensive line, played some tackle in his final days at USC, and he looked fantastic. Ended up being one of the highest drafted guards, is going to be uh, hopefully a high impact player for the New York Jets. So this year, if we're talking about some guys who could randomly explode onto the scene and become big name, maybe early day two, first round prospects, who are we thinking? Alex, why don't we head to you first? You picked an Oklahoma guy. Yeah, Oklahoma has a couple guards that are actually pretty talented this year. The guy I picked, and then there's uh, in Marquise Hayes Jr., and then as well, they have Tyrese Robinson on the right side. So the left guard, Marquise Hayes, is someone that I just became enamored with as one of my first watches this summer. And I really think, I mean, he's a big body, he's thickly built. I mean, he's he's built like a, a wall. I mean, quite literally. And this guy moves pretty well. And I think he 
I think I can go on record to say he's the best pulling guard in this year's class. I, he works so well in space. Uh, when he pulls, and, and Oklahoma asks him to do it quite a bit with their with their run scheme, he pulls, he gets out in the space. I don't usually when they get to the second level, these guards they got maybe get in the way of that second level defender. Uh, but Marquise Hayes consistently puts guys on their rear end, time in and time out uh, when when asked to do this. And I just think he's he's super strong at the point of attack. It doesn't matter how big the interior lineman is. I mean that can that can try to to, to rush right through him. He has a great anchor, um, does a very good job of sinking his hips and and absorbing that power. Uh, just because he's a very strong player in himself in his own right. And then as a puller, you see him more as an athlete. I think he has that as well in him because you see him get to the second level ahead of the running back or ahead of the ball carrier and, and does a great job of, of walling defenders off in space. So I just I like a lot of what he he brings to the table. And Tyrese Robinson, like I said, is a, another guard prospect that I think could see a rise, especially as I, I project that Oklahoma is probably going to be one of the best offenses in college football this mm. year and is going to contend for a national championship. And and any time you have a, a college football team that that plays at that level, that, that's going to the national championship and becomes a favorite, every single one of their prospects. We saw with LSU a couple years ago, every single player on that team got a boost just because of team success. And I think I'm, I'm projecting a lot of the same in Oklahoma with Marquise Hayes. Yeah, uh, Marquise, 6'5", 340. Haven't watched him a ton, but I will say that he definitely looks like that dude on the hoof. I know Tyrese um, Tyrese has a little bit of fanfare as well, and uh, but I think that when we're talking about comparing those two, when we're talking about a size, physicality, and body composition perspective, I think that there's a lot to like about a guy like Marquise Hayes. So, Ryan, your pick for – high upside guy that could be a huge potential riser. You end up going over to Arkansas with Ricky Stromberg. What made you pick him? Yeah, I love Ricky, man. I, I didn't know too much about him, and he's another guy that I was watching. Um, I was actually watching their offensive tackle, Cunningham, Myron Cunningham, who we talked mm-hmm. um, who we talked about a little briefly last week. And they have um, a couple guys that worth keeping an eye on, like Traylon Burks, the wide receiver, obviously, who we also talked about. But another time that a center popped off the screen to me, and I, I was just like, wow, that this kid, 51, I didn't know who he was. And I saw he made like honorable mention or third team all SEC last year. But we're looking at a kid that's listed at about six foot four, 315 pounds, really dense dude. I actually think that I heard that he's actually lost a little bit of weight and he's kind of reconfiguring his body a little bit. So getting a little bit of maybe the bad weight on there. But I thought that NFL athlete, I think flexibility is on par. But I think that there's a ton of power there. I think that he works the second level. I think he's a good communicator. For me, Ricky Stromberg is that guy that a lot of people – I know a lot of people liked um, Frank Ragnow when he was coming out of Arkansas. But I don't think anybody really thought that he was like a slam dunk first-round pick when he was coming out. I'm just letting you all know that I think Ricky has the athletic ability and the communication skills and the physical profile that he could be that next Arkansas center in the first rounds. Yeah, I think if you run like a power run scheme, I think he's a perfect center. I think he just does a great job at the point of attack with his power. Um, I think he's fine as an athlete, but you see some limitations kind of working in space laterally. Um, but yeah, I really liked Ricky Stromberg. He actually just, uh, spoiler alert, he just missed my top five along with Marquise Hayes. They were back to back at six, seven. So, um, you know, two guys that I think, I mean, I obviously am in agreement with you. I think this is someone that can, 
push himself into day two consideration uh, with another strong season. All right, now comes the final part of the show, which is always a fun and interesting piece, which is discussing your guys' top fives and then wrapping things up with a guessing game of the top threes of each individual evaluator. So getting into first, Ryan has Lasita Smith from Virginia Tech. He appeared on the NFL Draft Prospects podcast back during last cycle. And then after that at five is Tyler Lindenbaum, Iowa interior offensive lineman. Alex has the same two guys, but in opposite order. He is Tyler Lindenbaum of Iowa at four. And then five is Lasita Smith from Virginia Tech. So I'm, I'm curious here to, to hear about these two guys. The one thing I want to ask, because you're talking about how talented this interior group is, and since you guys have the same players, what is the the uh, the earliest you see these guys going? Like, Do we think that because this interior group is so talented, we see some somewhere on, on early day two, potentially, for either of these guys? I, I think one of them... So I will say I think that both players will have an opportunity to be first-round selections. Like I think they have that type of talent. But I think it's a safe bet that if they slide out of the first, that these are very rock-solid early second-round selections. I really do. I, I think that Lasita Smith, 6'3", 223 pounds, verified, 33-inch arms, like everything looks good on the interior, was actually a high school tight end who, um, you know, kind of understood that, like, the transition might happen. If you tune into that interview, I believe, in Info Draft Prospect Podcast with Lasitas, he kind of goes a little in-depth on that. And he's a guy that, honestly, he said, I ate way too much coming out of high school. I ate myself way into being an <laughs> offensive tackle. He's like, I was um, an offensive lineman, I should say. He, he said that he was, like, a 6'3", 260-pound tight end in high school, and then before he showed up to Virginia Tech, he said that he had a he had a job at I think it was a fast food restaurant, and he got up to like 280 when he got onto campus. So like it was like foregone conclusion. You're playing offensive line, so he's a guy that hasn't been playing offensive guard long. But I, I will tell you this, and I, I I don't know if Alex agrees with this, but like Christian Darrisaw, really good. I I know Alex wasn't as high as him as as I was potentially, but there were more than one occasion last year talking about from a game to game perspective that Lasita Smith was the best offensive lineman on Virginia Tech. Now, obviously, he wasn't playing left tackle, so he's not going to be quite as valuable as Lasita Smith dominating at left guard. But I really do think that he is a fantastic football player. I think he needs more conversation. I've seen him low in some rankings early as well. I think this kid is late first, second round selection, and then quickly hitting on Tyler Lindenbaum. Tyler Lindenbaum could be way higher on this list when all is said and done. This kid is an athlete. He can move in space. He's got a little bit of that Jason Kelsey in him, and he's a little undersized. The, wow. the thing that I'm struggling with him a little bit is, could he be Jason Kelsey, who's a rare exception of a very undersized center prospect? He could. Or more than likely, he's more of the Garrett Bradbury realm, who's a zone scheme specific center who lacks the 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 physical or the lower body power I should say not the physicality because Lindenbaum plays physically but he just yeah. lacks the body to really you know garner a ton of power in, in a short amount of spaces so I think he's a guy that is best on the move and the problem is that Garrett Bradbury had a lot of those same things going for him and I like Garrett Bradbury a ton coming out of NC State he struggled a little bit with the Minnesota Vikings because like there's just mm -hmm. there's some ways to negate 
the fact that like you don't have a great power profile, you're a good mover. So hey, let's put a guy right over top of you and then make you handle a guy in a, a you know in that six inch window. Like you have to kind of counteract power in some way. But I think that for a specific team, for a zone heavy outside zone scheme. Some guys might have Tyler Lindenbaum as the number one interior offensive lineman because he has that type of upside. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. The flexibility was the first thing that stood out to me and his ability to move in space, like you said. Uh, there's a lot of upside to him. I you, you have to you have to run an outside zone scheme where you you take advantage of his strengths uh, for him to really reach that potential that he has as an outside scheme center. Um, but I just saw a lot of strides taken from 2019 film to 2020. He just looks like a completely different football player. And I'm, like I said last week, um, talking about some of those offensive tackles, I'm banking on that that trajectory of getting better every year uh, with Tyler Linder, Linderbaum. And then with Smith, it's, it's going to be an interesting year for him because there's a lot of turnover at Virginia Tech. Khalil Herbert, the running back that makes you look good a lot of times because of his vision and finding finding gaps, he's out of the building. Uh, there's going to be a change at quarterback. Hendon Hooker's out of the building. And then the biggest one to me is I wasn't as high on Christian Darisol, but the fact of the matter is is he was a first-round caliber football player. He was drafted in the first round. So to have that guy as a security blanket to your left right next to you He's going to be gone. Smith is going to have to 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 do a lot more uh, than he was he was asked to do with with Christian Darisol to his left. So there's a lot of turnover at Virginia Tech. It'll be interesting to see what 2021 looks like and 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 how he plays with with all those circumstances. At least he has Brock Hoffman to his right, though, starting center, returning for Virginia Tech. That's true. I find it so funny, and I, I follow the Virginia Tech program because my brother went there. Uh, I have a very good friend who was in the ROTC program there, and obviously that's the my claim to fame when people ask who I played in, in when I was in college, who I played against. I tell them I played against Virginia Tech. So I take a little bit of pride in that. I find it so funny that Virginia Tech had all of these first-round or early draftable guys, yet they are so bad. They are so <laughs> unbelievably horrible. It's it's so confusing to me. It's just well, one of those programs. It's really frustrating to it's watch like because – I mean, Alex talked a little bit about, you know, uh, Khalil Herbert, who I was a big fan of. And they have, I mean, Christian Derisaw, first-round pick. They have Lasita Smith, who I think it might be in that conversation. Brock Hoffman is a draftable center at um, at center. They had a guy named Doug Nestor, who just transferred to West Virginia, I think is draftable. They have another right tackle who might be draftable as well. So, like, they have really good offensive line, really good running back last year. The problem is, like, their quarterback position has just been an absolute mess, dude. Like, they – I mean, we talk about Trey Turner from Virginia Tech, who I like James Mitchell. James Mitchell, who I was on my top five tight ends list. There's dudes there. They're just so one note on as an offensive scheme. And then there's been just kind of inconsistency with coaching. And they had a lot of guys out on a week-to-week basis last year with COVID. And the defense didn't play up the snaps. So, like, there's just – inconsistencies in the program but like it's not to uh, it's not to the fact of lack of of uh talent i think that there's a ton of talent at virginia tech even still and and i got to see hendon hooker like in one of his first starts like literally on the field level watching him play against my team yeah and i i have to say that you pointing out the quarterback play makes a lot of sense hendon hooker was not very good T- tennessee starting quarterback detriment. potentially hendon hooker so yeah. i Seriously doubt that. <laughs> Seriously <laughs> doubt that. <laughs> no, no, have you seen ended, Tennessee's but... quarterback situation? That's true. Guantanamo well, Bay for starting for him. Or he's at Washington, <laughs> Washington State now, baby. Yeah, he transferred out. 
All right, guys, let's let's wrap up with the, the best part of the show where we have some good laughs in guessing each other's top threes, and then we'll have a quick little discussion to wrap it up. Guys, or sorry, let's go to let's go to Ryan first. You're gonna guess Alex's. Let's hear what you got. You're always going to be first. Um all right. Well, I just I happen to have Alex's list okay. pulled up in front of me first. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you, dude. It's also um, your show. It is my show. There's no doubt about that. Um, don't give him that. <laughs> so I know Alex either has Kenyon Green or Darian Kennard at number one. I know he said that he struggled a little bit with Kenyon Green at points. So I'm going to say that he has Darian Kennard at number one. I'm going to say that he has number two, Kenyon Green. Number three is tripping me up a little bit, man. Oh, God. Um. I'm going to say you have, uh, what's his name? Um, shoot, what's the kid's name? Uh, uh, oh, from Ekim Ekwanu from NC State at number three. That is my guess. Random. And judge, it by, judge it by Joe's face. That was completely wrong. No, that was just, that was, you, we'll, we'll see. Okay. Alex, go ahead. So I know Kenyon Green's number one. It's so hard, okay? With two, three, I, I feel like you talked about Darian Kennard and his upside. So I feel like he's in there and I, feel like I know your other one, but it's so hard comparing guards to centers because they're just different, you know? Like, yep. how do you rank them? Um, I guess it just goes based off grade. So I'm going to go Kenyon Green 1. I know you've been his the leader of that train. 2, I'm going to go with Jarrett Patterson, the center from Notre Dame. And 3, I'm going to go Darian Kennard from Kentucky. Okay, so Ryan's top 3 goes in this order. Kenyon Green, Texas A&M. Darian Kennard, Kentucky, Jarrett Patterson, Notre Dame. You're close. And Ryan, you had it. You had it. You had it, and then you dropped it. You completely dropped the ball. Why? Darian Kennard won out of Kentucky. Uh Kenyon Green, Texas A&M two. And then he had Jarrett Patterson three. I don't know where you pulled that that third name. You... (laughs) I mean, yeah. I don't know why you wouldn't think that he. he, I don't know why you wouldn't think that Alex likes Jarrett Patterson. You're telling me that he is Jarrett Patterson outside of the top five. I don't know. Maybe he likes Lindenbaum better. I mean, it's possible. I don't know. That, I mean, Lindenbaum's was, good. The ball was thrown to you in the back of the end zone, and you dropped it. <laughs> so we had the whole. You we were had wide same, open. You wait, got wait, off wait, the wait, line wait, of scrimmage. Chill out, though. You chill were out, wide open. Al- Alex got it wrong as well. Alex got it wrong as well. So. I know, but you were so close. Sorry. You almost, At least you almost I had the right today. top three. Shut up, yeah, Alex. he just messed up. He he gets he's more correct than you were this week. Look, all I did, all I did was mix up the guard and center. Like that's basically comparing <laughs> I, apples to oranges. I I just need right, to keep it's... into account that Alex always copies me. So, <laughs> 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 all right. So you guys already talked about Kenyon Green. You already talked about Darian Kennard. But somebody whose name has not been mentioned today, which was just brought up, is Jarrett Patterson. Interior offensive lineman for Notre Dame has been a fantastic center, a guy that was on your radar very, very early. You said last cycle, if he declared, he would have been a first-round pick as the highest-drafted center in the class. He ends up getting hurt. He misses the remainder of the season. He's coming back fully healthy. Potential talks of him playing tackle, but he might likely stay at that center spot. Why are you such a fan of Jarrett Patterson, Ryan? So the, the recent development is now Notre Dame has actually a true freshman, Blake Fisher, who's going to start at left tackle, who is 6'6", 330 wow. pounds, who we'll be talking yeah. about in about two years. He's fantastic. Um, Josh Lug will be playing right tackle. So the actual the recent development is Z Carell might be at center and Jared Patterson might be playing guard now. So um, How do you feel about that? Uh, it's all right. I mean, sure. I don't hate guard. it. I mean, Crowell's a 
a decent center. Corral needs to play. So it was either Patterson at guard or Corral at center. Patterson has more size. So like, it makes sense that he's the guard over Corral. So like, I'm good with that either way. So yeah, I did say this before he got injured last year. I thought he could have been the first setter off the board if he would have declared. I still believe that that was true. And I just did a, uh, well, I didn't just do, I put out the preliminary report on him, I think like last month, which is live at uh, Coast to Coast Scouting. It'll be live on another site for a future announcement pretty soon as well. And I will say that I think that 6'4 plus, 300 pounds, very clean weight. I think that he could put on a ton more weight as well. And he was a he was actually at one time a left tackle recruit, four-star recruit, backed up at left tackle as a true freshman while he redshirted, moved into center, two-year starter at center. I think for a zone-heavy scheme, both inside and outside zone, he's fantastic, man. Good mover, good foot quickness, works the second level, clean, clean, clean athlete. Like Everything just looks very easy for a guy like Jared Patterson. Does need to continue to develop, like I kind of said. Like he has room to grow, and I think his power profile also has room to grow. I think that it's good right now, but I think that it could be plus down the line. Like I don't, I don't think that it's it's going to be a hindrance to him, like it could be with a Lindenbaum early on. But I do think that there is still development that needs to happen with a Jared Patterson. But uh, that being said, I think he's a starting caliber center for a pretty long time. I think that he. I compared him to Alex Mack, who was, of course, a great player for a long time, a little bit of a taller center, just like Jared Patterson is. And the best part of Jared Patterson is I talk about the development that needs to happen a little bit in the run game from a power perspective. Best pass blocking center I have seen in probably a couple years. This kid has that left tackle background, and it shows. Hand placement, ability to mirror, good feet. Everything is really good with a guy like Jared Patterson. In today's league that passes the ball so much, I think that he's going to be highly coveted as long as he stays healthy this year. Yeah, I think from a just a prototype standpoint, you see a lot of similarities between Linderbaum and uh, Lindenbaum, not Linderbaum, Lindenbaum and, uh, <laughs> and Jared Patterson. Like you said, they, they both have some development needed uh, from a power standpoint, especially on the lower half. And but I, but like you said, I don't think it's quite the hindrance for Patterson as it is for Lindenbaum at this current moment. And, I, and you said it best: the pass protection for for Patterson. He varies up his his strikes. I love his hand placement. He he, like I said, he switches up that the, the first initial punch, uh, and he does it so well. And his feet are very smooth in pass protection. Um, and then the length pops off way more than it does uh, for Lindenbaum. I mean, just in his stance. I, this is something that I actually wrote down in my notes. Before the snap, you look at it. He's getting an extra half yard of separation than you typically see when when they're you know when they have the hand on the ball before the snap. And I think that's you know you don't think about that as being that impressive, but that gives you that extra split second because your center of mass is further back behind the snap. So defensive linemen are having to. You know those interior guys, especially when you you have someone lined up on your head as a zero tech. Those guys are having to be pushed back a little bit further. It gives you a little bit that extra little split second to get your hands up and get get into you know get ready for that point of attack. So there's just there's just a little bit more traits that I like with uh, Patterson uh, when you, when you're comparing him to to uh, Lindenbaum from Iowa. So uh, it's hard comparing centers to guards. Like I mentioned, I could have flipped. Two three with Kenyon Green and uh, uh, and Jarrett Patterson here just depends on your flavor. 
And I, I said that like Kenyon Green was a guy that I thought would have been a little like funky to move out to tackle. I was actually originally kind of intrigued by seeing Patterson at tackle. I feel like it could have been good. I, I'm not, and I don't think that it would have been. Well, he was good. originally a tackle recruit, right? He was originally a tackle recruit. Like he's a little over six four. He's like six four and a half. I think his length is good. So like I feel like he could have done a pretty good job at tackle and maybe been you know a, a day two kind of like middle round offensive tackle. But obviously the upside at center is higher just because I don't think that his traits are quite as appealing outside comparative to play an inside center. But like he was a guy that like. I legitimately think could spot start or just, you know, as a backup in general, could back up all five positions. Like, I think that he has that type of profile. Random side note, Darian Kennard posted easily one of the most badass profile pictures for an offensive lineman. I sent it in the chat. Did you guys see it? It was fantastic. Yeah, it's like an anime style kind of art that he did. And I don't know who made that for him, but that is absolutely fantastic. Joe, his hands are over 11 inches, dude. It's insane. That's disturbingly large. Yes, disturbingly, really. He could palm your head. Yes. That is fantastic. Oh, there's like a picture. Someone commented a picture underneath it with him holding a football, and it looks like he's holding a grape. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're right. That looks like a peewee football. What the heck? It looks like he's holding an apple. <laughs> that right. is ridiculous. Folks, that's going to be it uh, here on the NFL Believe in NFL Draft Prospects podcast. Stay tuned. We've got a lot more coming in terms of content. We're going to really start expanding into video. Uh, as well as some more social media content. Be sure to follow us on social media, at Joe DeLeon, at Rise and Draft, at Alex Gilstrap, at NFL Prospects Pod, also at Believe Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. Hit the subscribe button, leave us a five-star review, and also search us up on YouTube. It just type in NFL Prospects Podcast. We've already got a good amount of subscribers, but uh, make sure you hit that sub button, stay up to date on any videos that we do, and we'll be posting all of our content and then gradually expanding into uh, some things that are separate from the podcast. Talk to you soon, folks. Enjoy the rest of your week and stay tuned for a fantastic interview. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. 